Jesus, we just want to rest in your presence a little bit tonight. We admit sometimes we just don't sit quietly enough just reflecting on you. God, today, (laughs) Jesus, our world needs you more than ever. We need you. It's you and you alone that we worship. It's you that we want to be captivated by. There's so much that screams. So as we look at discipleship tonight, would you help us to be recaptivated by you and you alone? We ask that and pray that in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We love to, to gather to worship together every week and uh, so grateful for our team that leads us and, and calls us. We've been in this series we started last week, so if you're new, uh, hey, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and it's, it's a delight to have you here. And We started this series looking at why it matters, uh, looking at specific things. We have a, a vision and a mission as a church that we'll kind of get into a series a little bit later this fall on that, but we want to look at some significant things, uh, some, uh, some attitudes, some practices, some rhythms that, that we need to make more and more a part of our life and why it matters. And so maybe you're here and someone invited you to come to church and, and you're kind of new into church and, and welcome. We're really glad you're here. I, I know it takes courage coming to a new place and and I hope tonight you would see Jesus maybe in a, in a way that would just begin you on a journey of curiosity. If you've been walking with him for a while, um, I hope tonight's a, a great refresher as we look at why discipleship matters. Last week we looked at why missions matter. So we talked about uh, each of us in our missions uh, experience, this idea of kind of taking the, the mission of Jesus, his story, his narrative, the, the hope of Jesus to the world in our own personal reach and we talked about our local reach through the local church and also a global reach and how we do that. We kind of talked through how you all have been doing that in a local realm here and also in a global way. And so if you missed that, you can catch it online. But tonight I want to look at uh, discipleship, why discipleship matters. And it's a word that's a little fuzzy at times. But before I get there, um, I just wanted to take a minute as, as a pastor and as you are, you're dear to me and you matter to me, and uh, I know uh, you've been watching things. And <clears throat> I felt like it would be a huge miss if I didn't directly, clearly say some things. Um, so Friday night, Saturday, I'm sure you've watched and seen things unfold in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. And... Um, it's not okay. It's not okay. And you need to know, we need to know, and it's the church, the followers of Jesus, uh, that um, the KKK, white supremacists, the alt-right, 
are completely wrong. Completely. Uh, they do not stand for the gospel. Uh, they are anti-gospel. And they are evil. And uh, what struck me is this verse in Romans, uh, Romans 12.9 says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And as a church, the church needs to rise up and say we're going to hate what is evil and we're gonna cling to what is good. So I wanna be very direct and very clear that uh, this is not a patriotic act. This is evil on display and it is not okay. Every person is made in the Imago Dei, in the image of our creator. And every person has value, no matter their skin color, no matter their orientation, they have value because Jesus says so. And his pursuit of us proves so. Racism is a sin problem, not a skin problem. And it is wrong every day and in every single way. These groups stand uh, for an ideology that is the complete opposite of what Jesus champions and what he stands for. And make no mistake, we will always stand with Jesus, period. We will stand with him. He is for you, he is for me, he is for people. He is against evil and he holds the ultimate victory and one day we'll set things right. And we rejoice in that. That is worth talking about. Until then, you and I as followers of Jesus have been enlisted with him to stand for what he's for and to stand what, for what he's against. And racism has absolutely no place in the life of a Christ follower. If it resides in your hearts, then friend, you need to repent and renounce and return to the heart of Jesus. The heaven that is secure for you as one who has put their faith in Jesus is one that Revelation 7, 9 says will have every tribe, every nation, every people, every language at it, assembled to worship the only supreme one. Guess who that is? It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. He's the one we worship. He is the only supreme one. We are Jesus people, and therefore Jesus people are for all people. We don't slink in silence in the sight of hate. Instead, we rise up to love everyone always. We are people of love, even in the face of hate. We are people of faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So, real direct. That's what we're for. I hope you are too. And I hope that the church, not just elements, but the church across our country says this and believes it and backs it up. So I can't think of a better day to talk about why discipleship matters than this weekend based with everything that's happening around us. So I'd like to pray for our country and uh, if it's all right with you, just kind of pray for us as a church that God would continue to give us leverage to be Jesus' people and to put his love and his hope on display. And then we'll move on into uh, to looking at why discipleship matters in maybe even in light of some of what we're seeing, uh, why it's important. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity that um, you've given us as your church
to be your church and to put on display your love for people. We wanna be a people that is driven by your love and the value that we've been given. And I pray for our country that you would give us clarity on how to stand against evil and how to cling to what is good and to put our whole heart behind that. Would you do a healing work in our country? Would you do a healing work in our own hearts, wherever they might need that? And would you guide us as we move forward? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you got your Bible, take them to Matthew chapter 28. And in Matthew 28, we're going to kind of get into this passage. There's a couple different passages that look at why discipleship matters. And disciple, again, is one of those words that, in a lot of ways, it's, it's hard to get our arms around, hard to get our minds around sometimes. It, it seems fuzzy. It seems slippery. What does that actually mean in the 21st century? Okay, we know kind of what it meant in the first century. What does it look like as things unfold here in our normal Monday to the Fridays? How do you do this? And we remember this passage that Jesus gave. He came to his, uh, his followers back then, and he said something in the very last chapter of uh, Matthew, Matthew 28. Here's what he says. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So how much authority? Like all authority. Where? Like everywhere. All authority has been given to me. Okay, so like that's important to know. And in the last verse, he's gonna say this, and surely I am with you always and to the ends of the earth, like everywhere you go. And so like I've got all authority. I'm gonna be with you forever. What do I want you to do in the middle? Okay, so like Jesus, like all powerful. That's pretty cool. He's gonna be with me forever. That's pretty sweet. What is he asking me to do? Here's what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Hey, wow, look, he says all nations. Okay, um, make disciples of all nations, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The beauty of this call, that you go and make disciples. Often, when we read through this text, in an American sense, if we don't understand the Greek behind it, we, we read the word go, and we put the emphasis there. And that's, there's a lot of value and a lot of truth in that. We are to go. This isn't like we just make people come to us. We are to be on the go. But in Greek, really what it says, it, really what it's saying is, hey, as you go, as you go about your life and your living, make disciples. So what's a disciple? Like, is that just like a super fan of Jesus? What is that? What, what does a disciple mean? We don't understand that context a whole lot. So let me put it in a different context for you. Let me give you a definition, okay? Um, a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. They're not an intern for Jesus, we think of interns are this. Interns are the people that we kind of have on the peripheral and we give them tasks and we give them assignments and they go and they're active. They do things, right? And we can get so caught up sometimes in the life of doing things for Jesus that we miss actually being with Jesus and our proximity with him matters because here's what an apprentice does. An apprentice studies the master. They become a pupil, a learner. That's what a disciple means. It literally in Greek is a, a learner, one who's studying everything. An intern has assignments, and they're around people, and they have a task list of things they do so the boss can see that they're actually fulfilling it, and they can write them a good recommendation, right? That's what an intern does. So they have different things. They have maybe tiny little bits of responsibility, but they're actually just doing things that the boss says go do. 
but an apprentice says, no, I want you to study my life and I want you to become like me. That's the difference between an apprentice in an intern. And often in our cultural context, we can begin thinking that a disciple is an intern for Jesus. I just gotta go do a bunch of things. I've just gotta invite a bunch of people to church. I've gotta go serve like crazy. I've gotta go do all these things. And listen, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it gets a little bit off kilter if you don't keep it in proper perspective that this isn't about just doing a bunch of things for Jesus and that you're really active for Jesus. This is about proximity with Jesus. It matters that you spend time with him. It is less about an activity for him and more about a proximity with him as you live life. Because here's the truth. As you spend time with Jesus, you will naturally pick up habits and rhythms and the heart of Jesus. And you'll just naturally start to do things like Jesus would do. There's a challenge, I think, in our American culture sometimes that we like the list because the lists are easy, but Jesus never gave us a list. Here's what he said. Here's was his disciple-making process. It was really uh, two words. Here's what he said. Follow me. Hmm. Now, I don't know if you have a, like a job uh, like a, a listing that you got when you got hired and then kind of gave you, uh, here's kind of what your responsibilities are. It probably had more than two words on it, right? That your job description probably has several words on it. But the truth is, Jesus' job description of being a disciple was simply this. Uh, follow me. Uh, Jesus, can you give me a little bit more than that? Um, no. Just follow me. Because that's the tension, the difference between an apprentice and an intern. In fact, uh, there's a video, Joseph Solomon uh, is a guy who's on YouTube quite a bit. Maybe you've heard of him and seen him. Um, he has this little bit of video that I think will kind of capture this in a way, and I'll, I'll kind of pick up on that on the other end of this. So let's watch this together. Can y'all please stop inviting people to your church? I get it, I get the heart behind it, but stop. I'm not even saying like it's always a bad thing to invite somebody to your church, but we use it like it's a go-to line. Man, you really need to come to my church cause, you know, praise and worship is real good. Pastor be going in, ushers, you try and get married, right? And we act like our church is the only church in the world that know what they talking about. Like you're not gonna get this anywhere else. Like you gotta come to, this church. Not only that, we act like inviting people to our church is what it means to make disciples. Have you brought your coworker to church yet? Well, all right, you not witnessing then. You not, you ain't a witness. Guess what? <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not, it really isn't. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we are introduced to the man, John the Baptist. Not to be confused with the John that wrote the book of John, but John the Baptist, two different people. John the Baptist is preaching about the coming of Jesus and he's hyping Jesus up. Like y'all think I'm something, nah, Jesus is something. Jesus is amazing, so amazing that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Not tie them, but untie them. You ever try to tie somebody else's shoes? It's not always the same, it's kind of awkward, but untying them, it's pretty simple. John is saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then when Jesus shows up, he's like, yo, that's, that's Jesus, that's, that's the Lamb of God, that's the man I've been talking about. And two of the disciples that had been following John heard him say this, 
and began to follow Jesus. Jesus says to them, what are you seeking? And they respond to his question with a question, where are you staying? They didn't ask, hey Jesus, what synagogues are you teaching at? Is there a youth conference coming up that you might be attending soon? Are you gonna have a concert where you perform miracles? Because if so, I'd like to bring some friends with me. Do you have some cool videos I can watch on YouTube? They asked, where are you staying? Where do you live? And Jesus is not even put off by this. Like it doesn't bother him at all. He didn't say, hold on y'all. I don't, I don't know y'all like that. I just met y'all like two seconds ago. Don't be asking me where I stay. Just meet me at the synagogue this weekend. That's where I'll be, okay? Maybe we can schedule a weekly Torah study over at Starbucks. Cause y'all are doing too much. No, Jesus responds, come and you will see. And this was the beginning of a three year journey. Doesn't that sound a little bit different than what we thought making disciples looked like? It seems to Jesus that making disciples involves sharing your life with someone. Jesus was probably already gonna go home later on anyway, and he says, why don't y'all come with me? Saying to them, come and you will see, not come to my church and you'll listen. Again, this is not always necessarily a bad thing, but when it comes to sharing our faith in Jesus with others, our first knee-jerk reaction shouldn't be to invite them to our church. Rather, maybe it looks like, hey man, let's keep connecting. Let's, let's link up, come to the house, let's have dinner. Let's get some coffee, let's go to the basketball court. Let's do things that we're already normally doing. From there, you'll find many opportunities to verbally share your faith with them and allow them to see your faith played out in everyday life. Come and see is the primary model for making disciples, not come and listen. The gospel is an actual message that must be spoken or read, not just a lifestyle. But these two disciples show us something that all of us, and even those that are outside of the Christian faith, may be desiring. We wanna see something authentic. I heard John talking about this faith in Jesus, and I'm interested to listen, but I, I wanna see something. And Jesus says, come, come and you'll see. We're so caught up with church membership numbers that we think that making disciples is synonymous with that. Though I do think that church growth is a byproduct of making disciples, it's not necessarily the same thing. God says, I will build my church and you, you go and make disciples. Grace and peace, fam. <clears throat> so in John chapter one, where he picks uh, kind of leaves off there, it's the next couple, uh, two words that are in the very next verse are follow me. So this idea of come and see, follow me, this proximity type living is really what Jesus calls people to. And he says, look, you go and make disciples the same way that I'm making disciples. See, Jesus wants to take you from where you are to where he has rescued and he has redeemed you and he is trying to recreate you to be. So it is from point A, where you are right now, to point B and where uh, in this process that he wants to take you, but it's different than what you and I typically think of when we think of going from point A to point B. What we typically think of is travel, right? How many of you have traveled on a road trip before? And uh, you've gotten out your, uh, I don't know if you've, uh, you millennials, this is a map. <laughs> Look how complicated this is when you open it up. Now, the great trick is to try to fold it back up, but you probably have never seen one of these. Ooh. Here's how they work. It's pretty cool. You start from point A, you find where you are, <laughs> that's point A, and then point B is like where you wanna go, right? And then like, you just follow a road that way. 
Yeah. Now, I know what you're used to now. You just pull out your phone and you type in the address and it gives you two or three options and then like the sweet lady on your phone tells you like you missed your turn, idiot, and, you turn, you know, and they're rerouting, right? And it's just all this stuff. And so you don't have to actually do any work. You just listen to the sweet voice of the person on your phone to get you there, right? From point A to point B. And that's typically what we think of. But here's the challenge with that is to move from point A to point B is about getting to the destination, right? That's how we think. But here's what an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus, here's why Jesus said, come follow me. You just come and see. Because Jesus isn't interested in the destination. He's more concerned about your heart transformation. And the roundabout ways of God have a way of going in a whole different way than what your plan or what your path is. That's why the gospel is not come follow a plan or come follow a path, it's come follow a person, Jesus. You think about the roundabout ways of God. You know what's interesting is the disciples, they would travel to different places with Jesus, right? Do you know Jesus didn't always take the most direct route there? Really, you should look it up. He didn't always go from point A to point B, the shortest route, because that's how we would do it. Because the goal is the destination. What's Jesus' goal to make you a disciple or make you an apprentice? It's not the destination. He's already taken care of that. You're gonna go to heaven one day. It's set. The goal is transformation of the heart to become more and more like him. Why did the Israelites, when they left Egypt, why did it take them so long to get to the promised land? You realize it was a two-month journey. They spent how many years? 40. That is horrible direction keeping, right? Because the point wasn't the destination. God had already promised, we'll get you there. The point of the journey is about transformation. I want you to be my people. And the roundabout ways of God have a crazy way of stretching things out that it's not point A to point B, and it's not really even about the destination. It's about the transformation that God wants to do in your heart. And so a disciple is way more than a fan of Jesus. See, we live in a culture that wants us almost to promote this fanship of Jesus, to say, well, yeah, I'm with Jesus, I'm a, I'm a fan. Um, and and Jesus asked for a lot more than that. Uh, in fact, Dallas Willard uh, wrote a, an incredible book. If you want to study about discipleship, um, I cannot recommend this book more. He's one of my favorite theologians, but Renovation of the Heart uh, by Dallas Willard. In here, he says this uh, quote. He says, disciples of Jesus are those who are with him learning to be like him. That is, they are learning to lead their life, their actual existence, as he would lead their life if he were they. That it's not about just trying to do things, that's what interns do. It's not just about accomplishing a list, this is about becoming more and more and reacting and interacting and behaving. See, this isn't about behavior modification because you don't have enough willpower to just modify your behavior. Because if you don't go through the transformation work, of becoming more and more like Jesus where his heart, his patterns, his rhythms are becoming more and more a part of your life and your heart, 
that's why this idea of just sin management is so overwhelming and people get beat up all the time because it's not about that. It's not about looking good or being good. It's about proximity with Jesus because when you hang around Jesus, you will naturally begin to pick up the patterns and rhythms and heart of Jesus and behaviors will modify and change on their own because your heart is being changed. It's not about just kind of shaping up and getting things. This is about trying to live. See, Jesus calls us to discipleship, remember? To be an apprentice of Jesus, and that has a cost to it. It's not an easy thing. In fact, in Luke chapter nine, here's what he says. Then he said to them all, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, disciples cross the line from being a fan to a follower. That's what a disciple is. It's someone who crosses that line. See, following the plan is about getting to the destination, but following Jesus is about experiencing his transformation. This is about becoming more and more like him. Jesus is asking to be way more than just an accessory to your life. This idea of of fanship sometimes, where we can... um, get to the place where we believe him and we like his promises. Hey, I can be saved. I can have life with God. I can be forgiven. That's awesome. And they are excited. And people can give their life to that. But then they just settle in to say, look, I'll just wear the fan gear and I'll cheer really loud at his gatherings and I'll raise my hands and it'll be cool and everything will be a great benefit as long as it's convenient to me. And that's why Jesus, when he gives this two-word job description of come follow me, is demanding. It's not easy. Discipleship is saying, look, I'm gonna move past the convenience of just being a fan of Jesus. I'm gonna move over. I'm not gonna try to just customize my Christianity. Jesus, I know you have a lot to say about generosity, and that's awesome. I think that's great. And I'm for that. (laughs) Don't ask me to write a check. Um, Jesus, I know that you want me to serve, and that's really sweet, and I love to like give him myself, and occasionally I'll drop a five at the homeless person on the corner, but like to inconvenience myself to actually serve someone else, whew, that's a lot. I'm not ready for that. See, that's where fans kind of struggle, is they can't cross that line. Hey, Jesus, I know that uh, you're asking me to, to be inconvenienced at times, to sacrifice, to, to give of my time and my resources to something that matters to your heart. And uh, that'd be great, but that's tough, and I don't know if I want to do that. And so this idea of discipleship really begins to push at us of, of where we are. Are we settled into this fanship of Jesus? And Jesus is saying, look, I want a lot more than just your admiration. I want your devotion. I want your attention, your affection. I want you to follow me. See, we typically forget this one simple thing. An intern can eventually say no, right? Because say, well, I'm gonna find a different internship. But an apprentice, (laughs) apprentices don't call the shots. The master does. And the apprentice just follows what the master says and what he does. Jesus is calling people to follow him, not an option of selective commitment, 
There's no bargaining, no bartering, no manipulating. Jesus wants all of us. It's a full commitment. He's looking for more than enthusiastic admirers. See, following Jesus is open to anyone, but he does ask for your everything. And that's where this challenge comes, because we struggle with that, if we're honest. We, we settle in more so to the fanship of Jesus. I love A.W. Tozer writes this, uh, a simple quote, complacency is easy, and it's a deadly foe of spiritual growth. And sometimes I can look around my own life and I can look around Christianity and it seems like we have a bunch of complacent or complacency. And so the challenge becomes, here's why discipleship matters. Because it's not a call to convenience. It's not a call to complacency. It's a call to commitment. Because Jesus went all in for you and he's asking for you to go all in with him, to follow him. That's why words like striving and straining and finishing and fighting well and whatever it takes are all throughout the New Testament. It's not about working for your salvation. You don't try to earn anything. You've been given everything in Jesus, but now it's about alignment with him. This is why proximity to Jesus matters more than your activity for Jesus. Because when you spend time around Jesus and you're with him, you will naturally begin to pick up the patterns and the rhythms and the heartbeat of what matters to him and what goes after him. Following Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's a daily invitation to stay close to him. There is always a next step for you as you follow after your savior. Proximity to Jesus needs to remain your highest priority. Why? Because Jesus wants to change you from where you are now to where he wants you to be, but it's not about going from point A to point B. It's not about the destination. He's got that secure for you. You'll be just fine. What he's more interested in and more concerned with and more focused on is the transformational work that he wants to do in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, as you follow him. It's this great challenge and this great invitation. Now, disciples who hang around Jesus typically pick up patterns, rhythms, habits of Jesus. So can I just mention a few? Because I think those who apprentice themselves to Jesus begin to naturally make prayer a part of their life. Why? Because all throughout the New Testament, here's what we see Jesus doing, praying. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? In heaven, Romans talks about this. He's praying for you. Prayer is a part of what Jesus does. It's what he models. So prayer becomes something that needs to be a normal rhythm of our life. Jesus often withdrew to be alone with the Father. You'll read that throughout the Gospel accounts. Why? Because solitude mattered to Jesus. When's the last time you actually took a little bit of solitude time for just you and God to connect? Typically in our fast-paced culture, we don't have much time for solitude. Or when we do have it, we miss the opportunity to make it a spiritual moment. We just try to and take a nap. Now sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. That's okay. 
But what does it look like to make solitude a part of a rhythm of your life? Because it was a rhythm of a part of Jesus' life. What does it mean to make scripture, spending time reading his word, spending time memorizing, spending time ingesting and letting it work on you? Because Jesus often did that. You look at his conversations, Jesus usually responded with a question or a Bible verse. Isn't that crazy? Jesus thought the Bible was important. Maybe we should too going out on a limb. And so there's these rhythms that are a part of love. If we're gonna be Jesus people, we gotta be people of love, people who experience love from the Father that is unbelievable and something we cannot work for, we don't have to work for, but a better love than you'll ever experience in your life, that we experience his love. We take time to reflect on that. And we also become people who help express that love back to God in worship or expressing love back to him and just our attention and our affection to him, expressing that love back to other people on his behalf. That you just become people of love because we see that all throughout Jesus' life here on earth. And so these rhythms, these habits, just become a part of our life. Why? Because we're focusing as a disciple, as an apprentice of Jesus, to keep our proximity close. And we follow him. We come and see. We follow him. And as we do that, we'll have activities that he'll invite us into to do on his behalf and to enjoy with him. But it's really about a focus of learning to say, how do I live in my life in proximity with Jesus? That I would think more and more about being with him. How would he interact in this moment? How would he react in this moment? What decision would he make in this moment? How do I become more and more in line with that? Because that's what discipleship is. The simplest way I can put it. I think sometimes we can make it really, really complex but it really is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not his intern. You're an apprentice, and you're to study his life, to become more and more like him, so that his rhythms become your rhythms. His heart becomes your heart. His habits become your habits. His interactions, the way he responds, becomes your interactions, and the way you respond. And so as we continue in worship here in a second, we're gonna take a moment for communion. And uh, as you take communion tonight, here's the invitation I give you. Maybe the challenge is as you hold that bread, as you hold that cup, that you reflect on who Jesus is. Not just what he did for you. He came, the brokenness of his body given up for you, the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, my sins, but who he is and how he lived. Let your mind wander with maybe some of the stories that you remember from his life, maybe some of the miracles that you remember, some of the interactions that he had with people. So as you hold that bread, as you hold that cup, remember who Jesus is. And then this week, say, all right, Jesus, I wanna be your apprentice. Would you help me understand what that looks like Monday morning without coffee? Would you help me know? And then when I get coffee, would you help me know what it looks like then? And so you go through this rhythm of Tuesday. Okay, today I'm apprenticing Jesus. I got a job, okay, but I'm apprenticing Jesus. And so let's go do this together.
and let's work and let the Holy Spirit work on transforming our hearts. And so Father, that's what we pray for. We wanna be a people that are apprenticing, that are discipling after you, Jesus. I know in our, in our context, what we want is a list. What we desire is a plan and a path. Let's just do this. And yet, you just constantly call to us. Just come follow me. Just come and see. And it's this invitation to proximity with you that, that you desire most. And so each one of us here, we're at a different path in life. We're at a different stage, different season, different steps with you. Would you help us know what our next step is this week? And as we take communion here, as we continue to worship, and as we sing this song closer, would you pull our hearts closer to you? We want to be in proximity with you. And would you help us to know when we're out of proximity and that you'd woo our heart back to you, call us back to you, that we'd come running. And this week, would you show us what does it look like in our next step, in our season of life, of our stage of life, our age, everything that's going on in our life, what's our next step of being a follower of you, not just a fan of you? So Jesus, we ask that you'd be in these next few minutes as we worship through communion, as we worship through song, and that you'd stir our hearts afresh and anew. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.